And please, if you would, turn in your Bibles to the Old Testament for our scripture reading, which is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 33, verses 26 to 29. And hopefully it will become evident uh, in a few moments, or a little while at least, why we're going there. Deuteronomy 33, 26 to 29 is our scripture reading this morning. And then our sermon passage is Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 to 15. Matthew 19, 13 to 15. But first, Deuteronomy 33, 26 to 29. Brothers and sisters, as always, the reading of the Word of God is about to commence. It's important for you. It's important for me. It's important that we all give full attention to God's Word. It is the Lord speaking to us. It is, as it were, drops of gold falling from His lips. There's nothing more important for you to do right now than to give your full attention to God's Word. Deuteronomy 33, 26-29 There is none like God, O Jeshurun, who rides through the heavens to your help, through the skies in His majesty. The eternal God is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And He thrust out the enemy before you and said, Destroy. So Israel lived in safety, Jacob lived alone in a land of grain and wine, whose heavens drop down dew. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help and the sword of your triumph. Your enemies shall come fawning to you, and you shall tread upon their backs. Now turning to Matthew 19, verses 13 to 15. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. This ends the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful for all that it teaches about you, and we're thankful, Lord, for this passage, these few brief verses that tell us a great deal about our Lord Christ Jesus. They show us his heart, they show us his mind, they show us the love that he has for little ones. We pray, O Lord, that your spirit would lead us, that he would cause us to worship you even as your word is now preached. We pray, Lord, that you would bless the ones who hear, that you'd bless the one who preaches, that you would be with us, O Lord, and give us understanding. Help us as a result of the instruction we've received today to sing your praises even more, to worship you with greater gladness in our hearts, to desire to know you better than we've known you before. So please, O Lord, bless us now through the preaching of the word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, in the previous passage in Matthew, a passage that we didn't read, but a passage you may be familiar with, you could glance at, uh, you may remember that prompted by the Pharisees, Jesus spoke at length about marriage and divorce. The Pharisees we read there in the previous few verses, they came to challenge Jesus. They wanted to put him in his place. They wanted to show how unwise he was, how wise he was. They are. When our passage this morning, prompted by parents bringing their children to Jesus to be blessed, 
Jesus shows his love of children. Now, this part of chapter 19, it could be called the marriage and family section of Matthew's gospel. Jesus had already shown his high regard for children and his emphasis on childlikeness in the first few verses of chapter 18. In chapter 18, verse 1, the disciples approached Jesus and asked him, who is the greatest in the kingdom? They wanted to know which one of they were the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus' response was to call a child into their midst and to tell them, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Christ's regard for people of low status is evident in the way that he treated these little children. And in comparison to Jesus, the Messiah, the eternal Son of God, everyone is low status. And yet, he has a high regard for us. As we work our way through the sermon today, I'd ask you to consider this thought. Jesus Christ died in the place of each of you who believes in him. And he shares with you the blessings that he received from his Father. Let me say that again. Jesus Christ died in the place of each of you who believes in him. And he shares with you the blessings he has received from his Father. The sermon is divided into three parts. The first part, seeking a blessing. The second, let them come. And the third, the blessing of the firstborn son. So again, seeking a blessing, that's the first part of the sermon. Let them come. The second and the third, the blessing of the firstborn son. So let's look now at the first part of the sermon, seeking a blessing. Chapter 19, verses 1 and 2 say this. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Now, it's not evident here how far Jesus went into uh, the Transjordan area, that area east of the Jordan River. It very well could be that he was right along the banks of the eastern shore of the Jordan River. But he's east of the Jordan. And first, earlier in chapter 19, we've already mentioned this, the Pharisees came to him. They challenged him about divorce. And now in our passage, it's parents who come to Jesus there. And the parents are coming to Jesus so that, the, so that their children might receive a blessing from him. They ask him to, to lay his hands on their children. They ask him to pray for their children. Now, it's true that the word blessing is not used in our passage in Matthew, but the parallel passage in Mark chapter 10, verse 16 says that he took the children in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. So this is a blessing. But what is a blessing? We hear it all the time. We talk about it. We talk about how blessed we are. At the end of every worship service, a benediction or a blessing is pronounced. But what exactly is a blessing? Well, it is a pronouncement of God's favor upon his people. It's a pronouncement. It's both a statement that you are blessed because you're God's people, but it also, through the pronouncement of the blessing, gives a blessing. It confers a blessing upon you. And so it's a, prominent, it's a promise of abundance. And it's also, at the same time, an outpouring of God's love and grace. Blessings, we've already mentioned this, take the form of a benediction, a good word spoken to those upon whom God showed his favor. Now, it's unclear about the parents what they really think about Jesus. It's unclear if they understand him to be the Messiah, the promised one, or perhaps he's simply another elder. 
They may just simply respect him as someone uh, that they trust, as a teacher. But they're coming to him hoping that he will make a pronouncement upon their children of God's abundant blessing, his abundant provision. Now Matthew hasn't recorded Jesus being in Judea since his baptism by John the Baptist in chapter 3. That too took place at the Jordan River. But we do know from the other three Gospels that Jesus has made trips down to Jerusalem. He went to celebrate the Passover each year of his public ministry. And Matthew, born up and inspired by the Holy Spirit, reserves Jerusalem in his Gospel as the place where Jesus goes to die. Matthew is not being deceptive here. He simply doesn't record every single aspect of Christ's life, every single event in Christ's life. And you remember that John in his Gospel says it's impossible to record everything that Jesus said or did. There aren't enough books in the world to, to hold everything that Jesus said or did. Now we're in the middle of chapter 19 here. And in chapter 21, Jesus enters the final week of his life. In chapter 21, Jesus makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And the people of the city greet him on the way in. They lay their cloaks on the road and they shout, Hosanna, the son of David. And a week later, he will be crucified on the cross. So at this point, chronologically in chapter 19, we're at most just a few weeks out from Jesus' death. And people... Unwittingly, they don't know that this is about to happen as death is imminent. People are bringing their children to Jesus to be blessed. Now, this is an important thing for us to keep in mind. The, the chronology, how close it is to Christ's time on earth coming to an end. There was a Jewish custom for the people to bring their children to the elders on the evening of the Day of Atonement to be blessed and prayed for. And even though this is not taking place around the Day of Atonement... Not the official Day of Atonement in the Jewish tradition in Judaism. This seems to be the background for what the parents are doing. They, they're doing this, again, unwittingly. Because the true Day of Atonement is fast approaching. The background for what Jesus does in our passage is most likely found in the Old Testament where a father would bless his sons just before the father's death. And one of the first such blessings comes in Genesis 27. Just before his death, Isaac pronounced a blessing on Jacob. And of course, that was because Jacob and his mother, Rebekah, they had tricked Isaac into thinking that Jacob was Esau. And so Jacob got the blessing. Esau uh, was rejected. And then later in Genesis 48, just before his death, Jacob, now known as Israel, blessed the sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh. But when Jacob laid his hands on his grandsons, he reversed the proper order. He put his right hand on the younger son, his left hand on the elder. Now these are fathers blessing sons or grandsons, unlike Jesus blessing children with no relation to him. However, in Deuteronomy 33, just before his death, Moses blessed the entire nation of Israel. And we read the last part of Deuteronomy 33, the, the, the conclusion of Moses' blessing pronounced upon Israel. In each of these examples just mentioned, the blessings are given just prior to the death of the one pronouncing it. And Isaac and Jacob and Moses, just like Jesus, were outside of the promised land when they gave these blessings. All of this helps to provide the background for what the parents were doing in bringing their little children. And Luke says, even infants, to Jesus. But when they get close, verse 13 says that the disciples stepped in and rebuked the people. Perhaps they didn't want the people to treat Jesus like some ordinary elder. 
but they were behaving more like the president's secret service guard. Despite the love that Jesus previously had shown for children, despite his general regard for people of low status, he wasn't afraid to associate with tax collectors and sinners after all. The disciples thought that they needed to keep these children away from the only person truly capable of blessing them. And that leads us to the second point of the sermon, let them come. Now, if this was the case, if it was the case the disciples were doing this because they didn't want Jesus to be bothered by these unimportant little ones, Jesus surely surprised the disciples by what he said next. Verse 14 says, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Mark 10.14 says that Jesus was indignant at the disciples at what they were doing and trying to block the children from getting to him. Now, Jewish culture in, in that day was nothing like Greek and Roman cultures in which fathers often exercised their legal right to discard unwanted infants. What does that remind you of today? Our very own society is very similar. Jewish culture was not like that. There are examples in non-biblical Jewish writings from that time of clear expressions of love for children. And indeed, the fact that these parents were bringing their children to be blessed showed their love for their children. But even in Jewish culture, despite being vastly different from Roman culture on this point, children, they still held a low status. They were dependents. They were utterly reliant upon what adults would provide for them. They, they were more mouths to feed. And so at an early age, they would begin to work. They would begin to, to try to contribute to the bottom line. Now, given children's low position in society, the disciples probably assumed that Jesus had far more important matters to attend to. They didn't have time for uh, these little bothersome children. But Jesus corrected them quickly. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. Now, remember that Jesus plenty of times would keep people at arm's length, especially the crowds. How many times? Do we read that he went off to escape the crowds? There were times where the crowds pressed on him so much that he had to get into a boat on the Sea of Galilee and stand there uh, in the boat just off of the shore of the sea and preach to the crowds. But Jesus showed no reluctance here. He wanted to bless these children. He wanted to show them that they were accepted. He wanted to wrap them in his arms and love them. Now, our society seems to have a love-hate relationship with children. On the one hand, we're clearly obsessed with youth, both with maintaining our own youth. We want to stay young. We want to look young. We want to act young as long as possible. But also, our culture is, is guilty of idolizing the young. But at the same time, we're also very like the ancient Greek and Roman cultures. We're all too quick to discard our babies when they become a nuisance to us, when they become an inconvenience for us. We don't have time for them. And so far too often, it happens either in the womb or outside of the womb that we forget about our children or try to do away with them. But Jesus is not like this. After telling his disciples to let the little children come to him, Jesus said, For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Now this is similar to what Jesus said back in chapter 18, verse 3. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
He's not saying that the kingdom of heaven will be made up only of children. He's saying that everyone who hopes to enter the, children, the kingdom of heaven must become like a child, utterly dependent upon God. And Jesus says in chapter 18, verse 4, that this requires us to humble ourselves. A person has to be made low in order to enter the kingdom of God. He has to be made like a child. The kingdom belongs to a person who has become childlike in his trust or her trust in God. And this brings us to the third and the final point of the sermon this morning, the blessing of the firstborn son. In verse 15, we read that Jesus laid his hands on them and went away. Mark elaborates a little more in chapter 10, verse 16 of his gospel, and he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. In Mark's account of the disciples' discussion of who would be the greatest in the kingdom when Jesus put a child in the midst of the disciples, it says in chapter 9, verse 36, that he took the child in his arms. None of his gospels actually mention it, but we can trust that Jesus did pray for these children as well, just as the parents asked him to. Jesus took these children in his arms, he laid his hands on them, and he blessed them. How wonderful would it have been to be blessed by Jesus? Even if some of the children were too small to remember it, they had been held and blessed by the Messiah. Jesus was and is, after all, the source of all blessing. He had been a blessing to people since his birth. When Jesus was presented at the temple in Luke chapter 2, the priest Simeon, who was on duty that day in the temple, took Jesus in his arms and said in verses 29 to 32, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence for all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon had been promised by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before seeing the Messiah. And though Luke said that Simeon blessed Joseph and Mary, he also was blessed by getting to see and to hold Jesus. Simeon had held the firstborn of all creation, as Colossians 1.15 calls Jesus. And now Simeon could die in peace. But even before his birth, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, was a blessing to people. John chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 says that it, it was through him that all things were made, and that in him was life, and the life in him was the light of men. But Jesus blessed his people in a very special way by what would come at the end of his life, his death and his resurrection from the dead. The parents who presented their children to Jesus wouldn't have understood it. Even the disciples didn't understand it, but the primary way that Jesus would bless their children was through dying on the cross and being raised on the third day, provided that they trusted in him for their salvation. As the firstborn son of the Father, begotten, not made, Jesus was the recipient of every blessing. As the son who obeyed his father in every way, keeping the law perfectly and being obedient to death on the cross, Jesus was especially favored by his father. And yet Jesus doesn't hoard his father's blessings. He doesn't keep all of these blessings for himself. In that way, he's very unlike children, isn't he? He shares his blessings liberally. He gives them to his brothers and sisters. Every good thing in this world rightly belongs to Jesus Christ alone, but he freely distributes all good things to his father's adopted children. 
to his brothers and sisters. As Romans chapter 8, verse 17 says, speaking of believers, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. If you believe in Jesus Christ, he does not withhold any good thing from you. If you believe in Jesus Christ, he gives you everything that you need. That doesn't mean that you'll get everything that you want. It doesn't mean that a nice, shiny new car is what you need. But you can trust that every spiritual blessing will be showered down upon you. It will be poured out on you. If you trust in Jesus Christ that He died for you, you will join Him in His resurrection. Just as Jesus freely blessed these children who were brought to Him, so He freely blesses you if you believe in Him. And the church, by proclaiming the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ alone, blesses those around them. The church becomes a blessing to the nations inasmuch as the church faithfully proclaims the gospel. Now, on a somewhat side note, we shouldn't try to make this passage say more than it's intended to say. Neither should we try to make it say less. Some, in their zeal to commend infant baptisms to others, they might, they might try to point to this verse as definitive proof of the validity of the baptism of infants. And I think that pushes this passage a bit too far. Baptism doesn't seem to be in view in this passage. However, this passage and its parallels in the other Gospels clearly show that children, even infants, aren't to be overlooked or denied as recipients of God's blessing. As if those who are capable of understanding a blessing are the only ones worthy to receive it. This passage shows us that God loves babies, especially babies born among His covenant people. And God freely blesses them. It wasn't necessary for the parents to deceive Jesus like Jacob deceived Isaac. Jesus freely blessed them. There's no indication that Jesus showed a preference for one child over another, like Jacob did with Joseph's sons. He blessed them all. Jesus is the firstborn Son of God. He came so that all who believe in Him would receive God's greatest blessing, life with Him forevermore. If you believe in Jesus Christ, then you are co-heirs with Christ. You will be glorified with Christ. But even now, on this earth, you are given as a co-heir with Christ, as a son and daughter of the Most High. You are given everything that you need to walk in this life with the Lord. And that, brothers and sisters, is good news. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we are truly thankful to you for the blessings that we have received we're thankful that you shower down your blessings upon us even on the first day of our lives. We thank you for our covenant children. We thank you for our little ones who have been born into this church and who've been raised up in this church. We pray that you would continue to bless them, that you would keep them, that you would hold them tightly in your arms. We pray that you would continue to bless us all, O oh Lord. Help us to trust, even when we have doubts, even when we cannot see your hand of blessing upon us, help us, help us to trust that you have not removed it from us. 
Help us to know that even in the hardships and sorrows and struggles, even in those parts of our lives, you continue to bless us. Lord, we are grateful for the love that you have showed to your children. And we pray, O oh Lord, that nothing in this life would hinder us, would hinder any of your children from coming to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.